You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer powered, listener supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Brandon Blewett. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, August 21st, 2023. Later in the program, you will hear a report from local journalist Dave Askins of the B-Square Bulletin on Bloomington annexation, taken from his morning bulletin. More in today's feature report. It's really important that we know who's doing what, when, and in what order. And it is the difference in a lot of times between life and death. That's Vinyl Lee. He's the local chair of community organizations active in disaster. Fire, flood, tornado, mass shooting. How can you help Monroe County be ready and respond? Find out later in the show on a new episode of Activate. But first, your daily headlines. During its meeting on August 15th, the Bloomington Board of Public Works heard an ordinance against camping in the public right-of-way. Public Works Director Adam Wason presented the ordinance. From the staff report, it states that the city has a responsibility to ensure that the public's right-of-way is accessible and available to all members of the Bloomington community. Uh, To that end, the city recommends taking steps to prevent individuals and entities from to prevent individuals from impermissibly obstructing the public right-of-way. Staff requests that the board adopt this resolution um, as a recommendation to the city council to adopt proposed ordinance changes to the city code that would address these obstructions to the right-of-way. I just want to first start with some general comments from myself and state that I just appreciate each of the board members, uh, their uh, diligence in reviewing this matter, uh, their diligence in the conversation yesterday during the work session on this matter. Um, these aren't, you know, these are, um, this is being brought forward and uh, for reasons that, you know, none of us would really want to have to bring forward resolutions like this. Um, you know, some we've had some specific instances of late and over the last, um, uh, we've had uh, one specific instance of late where this really kind of came um, to a recognition of city staff that we needed to address, come up with a way to address a situation that is both um, within uh, <clears throat> that that meets the legal requirements of um, issuing trespass orders for blocking public rights of way, but also does so with coordination of the city legal department, the prosecutor's office, the police department, and others. So um, what's before you today is somewhat modeled after what Indianapolis has created to address situations where individuals are blocking public rights of way, um, mainly sidewalks or areas where pedestrians are going to travel. But um, we, you know, so the specific instance that we uh, encountered was Um, a few individuals uh, on a city street that were um, blocking 90% of the public right-of-way. There was no way that that public right-of-way at that point in time was ADA accessible. Uh, There was no way it was passable by somebody simply walking by. Um, And, um, you know, in the vast, vast majority of the instances in which I've been in a situation and encountering that, uh, it's simply a conversation of, hey, you know, um, we want to try to keep the sidewalk clear. Could you please, um, you know, gather your things? And, you know, and that's usually all it is. Um, We've had an instance where that was pushed to, no, I'm not leaving. I'm going to stay here. This is, you know, and uh, we 
in conversation with our police department, which we work very good with, and, um, and not anything against their actions in the situation, but it was very clear in their conversations with the prosecutor's office and others that we didn't really have the ability to simply remove for trespass for this exact issue. Um, the result of that is what's before you today. Um, we're trying to come up with uh, what we're asking is that you would uh, pass this resolution, which then recommends to the city council to take up an ordinance that would put, give us the ability to, um, to handle situations uh, of this nature. Board President Kyla Cox Deckard said she believes this is an issue of accessibility. She said the public needs to be able to access the public right of way without obstruction. As uh the public knows, um, anyone who has watched uh, Public Works or has interacted with us, um, we deal with many, many, many issues related to the right-of-way. Um, this board takes very seriously the accessibility of the right-of-way and are very mindful um, when we do grant use of the right-of-way for specific purposes. Um, of course, uh, allowing the public to be able to um, use the right-of-way in the way that uh, it is intended so that people can pass through it um, and travel through it uh, is something that's top of mind every time we have a conversation about um, right-of-way use, whether it's uh, construction or um, a, a special event. Uh, this board often um, asks and ensures that the public is still going to be able to access what they need in order to be able to travel um, through the area. And so it is important uh, to us, and this is one element um, of that that we uh, are considering today and thinking about um, that has perhaps not been addressed uh, by other elements of the code. Um, in that conversation about the way that the um, that the proposal is written, the suggested language, um, I uh, had raised the question about the wording that included entities, because we do actually address um, usage of the right-of-way by entities in many, many different ways. Um, and so uh, it seemed that this particular uh, ordinance would not necessarily be um, addressing entities because we do have other uh, code language that addresses um, entities in this uh, scenario. So um, I would s recommend that we modify uh, the suggested language to remove uh, the term entities uh, so that it reads individuals um, as opposed to individuals and entities. Uh, likewise, I appreciate uh, we had a really good conversation about the um, the fines and the fact that there is uh, sort of a general um, violation fine language um, that exists in city code uh, that was used in this um, in this proposed language, uh, but it seemed incongruent when read uh, as its general um, fine language to some other fines that we uh, place upon um, different entities, in most cases, uh, for violating um, use of the public right-of-way. And so, and it's, to me, does not seem like the fine is actually the um, critical element of, of this um, proposed ordinance. Uh, and so uh, I would suggest that we might modify um, this language to not include reference to a fine, um, as that is not part of the, the goal.
Vice President of the Board Elizabeth Karen asked for clarification on how the fines portion would be included in the ordinance. City Attorney Mike Rooker addressed the question. Can I ask you to speak to the reason to include or not include uh, mention of the fine specifically? What legal and staff's opinion is about that, please? Yeah, you know, we talked a little bit about this at the, the work session. Um, this is not a, a revenue-generating initiative for the city. The, the goal here for staff, and, and I hope for the board, is to make sure that the public right-of-way is usable by the public for its intended purpose. And so the goal is to make sure we have a tool when we have situations where the right-of-way has been obstructed so it can't be used for its intended purpose to make sure that we can get it back into the, the, the state that we need it to be in so that it can be used for the public to traverse. Um, in that regard, you know, a, a fine really is not a useful tool at all. What we need to be able to do is have a mechanism to remove the obstruction that's in the right-of-way, and that's what we're trying to do with this, this proposed ordinance. During public comment, local resident Sydney Zulick spoke against the ordinance, saying she believes it vilified people who are unhoused. I discourage you passing this on to the city council in the current form that it is. Um, homeless people have stuff. We all have stuff. But the only, the only difference between them and people who do have homes or apartments or rent anything is that they don't have a place to put their stuff. So instead of demonizing them for having stuff like the rest of us do, I really encourage you to look for solutions that give them a place to put their stuff instead of just kind of taking it. I understand that this is an issue. I'm the only city council candidate for District 6, so in three and a half months I will be forced to reckon with this issue like the rest of you are. I totally get it. Um, but I really think we should be focused on legislation that helps instead of hurts. Um, and in three and a half months, I would love to work with you all and develop a solution that is maybe a little more helpful and a little less um, hurtful. Um, so if you do choose, I'm so sorry, I keep hitting this. Um, if you do choose to pass this ordinance, I encourage you to include wording that is opens up opportunity to create spaces for homeless people to put their stuff, like for example, lockers, where they know that their stuff will be safe. Um, the Shalom Center has some options, but not as many people are aware of them. I really believe that if we are to pass something like this, we should be offering services as a city for people to keep their stuff safe. Um, and also, in regard to um, obstructing the way, we should really be looking a lot more at double parking. Um, if, you've, if you've driven down Walnut or College in the past three days, you know it's a huge safety issue for traffic. Um, I drive there all the time. I used to live on the square, um, so I'm quite familiar with it. Um, we should be focusing a little bit more on that and a little less on demonizing homelessness. Thank you. And once again, I really appreciate all of your hard work. The board approved the ordinance unanimously. It awaits the city council for final approval. The Bloomington Board of Public Works will meet again for its regular session on August 29th. During the August 16th meeting of the Bloomington Board of Park Commissioners, the board heard a resolution on the use of structures on park properties, specifically addressing tents in public parks. 
Director of the Parks and Recreation Department, Paula McDevitt, explained the resolution and endorsed the proposal. And staff this afternoon is recommending approval of resolution 2302, titled Use of Structures on Park Properties. Just a little bit of background. The parks and properties and facilities under the authority of the Board of Park Commissioners and the Bloomington Parks and Recreation Department are intended for the recreational use of the whole community. The department is, of course, as you know, responsible for maintaining parks and trails and program spaces throughout the whole park system. The Board of Park Commissioners have the authority to set policy to support the mission and work of the department. Camping structures and makeshift enclosures have been set up in park locations prohibiting the use and enjoyment of these spaces by the whole community. These camping structures and makeshift enclosures have become a serious public health risk and safety issues due to vandalism, illegal activity, the accumulation of abandoned property, and garbage. Resolution 2302 outlines the reasons for the resolution and the adoption of policy 13220, entitled Use of Structures on Park Properties. This policy addresses the concerns presented by enclosures while still permitting the appropriate use of shade structures. This policy, however, is not intended to preclude the use of tents or similar enclosures that are authorized by the department's special use permit process or in association with Bloomington Parks and Recreation events, programs, and tournaments. Nor is this policy intended to prohibit unenclosed shade structures. Unenclosed shade structures provide relief to park users from exposure to sun, rain, and snow, and other elements, but do not shield activities occurring beneath the shade structures from public view. The makeshift structure that will no longer be permissible, a shade structure that would no longer be permissible, are shade structures that are located in areas so that an activity beneath the shade structure is not fully or is fully or partially obstructed from view, or obstructions or other materials are placed around a shade structure as to fully or partially obstruct the activity beneath the shade structure. During public comment, representatives from both Downtown Bloomington Incorporated and the Bloomington Chamber of Commerce spoke in support of the initiative. Conversely, a handful of residents took to the public mic to voice their concerns about the policy. Community volunteer Aaron Nicholson said, unless the city can fully support its unhoused population, displacement is not the answer. However, I would like to say that until we can truly address the unhoused population and serve them in a proper way, I don't think that it is reasonable to um, have aesthetic concerns as a community. I feel like supporting individuals and 
doing placements of Sharps containers in these parks. Um, I believe that many of the community members that I've worked with over the years have been very willing to dispose of things safely and keep the community safe and clean. It's just the matter of accessibility. I believe that it's most our responsibility as community members to support people the best we can. And if we're not able to support those people, then displacement is not truly the answer. Thank you. Indiana Recovery Alliance worker Kyle Halverson criticized previous public comments that were in favor of the policy. He said he would prefer the city to take a more humanitarian approach when it comes to the unhoused population. We have a giant population of unhoused community and there are so little resources for them. The shelter at the women's shelter uh, is closing down at, sh at um, Wheeler. Where are those women supposed to go? Ship them to Indianapolis, that's the plan? Away from their families, away from their community? Like, what are we talking about here? We have, a, we have money in this town. We have, we have no vision, but we have money. Why can't we do something for people who are less fortunate? Why can't we do something more? I don't understand this. Like, we can do everything for uh, a certain population, but nothing for anyone else. Is that my time? Great, thank you very much. Local resident Hannah Gorman expressed disappointment in the proposal of the ordinance, saying the passage of the policy will have a negative impact on the community. I think it's terrifying that this is what we're spending our time and effort discussing instead of figuring out things that will help people get out of the system. This is only going to continue putting people in the jail. <laughs> I think it's terrifying. I think it's terrifying that we're talking about aesthetics over human beings' lives. Don't really understand that. Um, another point I wanted to make is that just because the tents are gone doesn't mean folks aren't going to gravitate toward that area. It's right next to Shalom. They need to be near resources. Like, folks are still going to be in that park, so there's still probably going to be people calling about them and complaining about them just because they're in the park. So that's one point. Um, it's also going to affect, like, resources that come to the park to find people to help them get housing, to take them out of the park so it's not an issue. Like, there's so many re people that, like, that's the only place we can find folks is at Seminary Park, you know, like to give them health care, to work on housing, so many things. And that's going to be affected, too, if a lot of people can't set up there. So it's also just a community building area. Like people don't are people experiencing homelessness don't really have that many places to go because they're pushed around every single anywhere they go. They're pushed around. So. This is a nice place for them to be with their friends and actually have like an okay life. I don't know, like clearly they're not having, they're experiencing very, very, very hard things that no one here understands unless they've experienced it. So um, it's a meeting grounds for them to be with each other. So yeah, basically I just can't understand why this is what we're focusing on. So thank you. The motion passed by a unanimous vote the Bloomington Board of Park Commissioners will meet next on August 22nd. In today's feature report, 
local journalist Dave Askins of the B-Square Bulletin provides a report on Monroe County residents who received notices last week regarding the status of their property in light of Bloomington's annexation efforts. This comes from the B-Square Bulletin's Morning Bulletin. Dave Askins has more. The B-Square Bulletin sends out an emailed morning bulletin every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can sign up for the morning bulletin by visiting bsquarebulletin.com and clicking on the tab labeled subscribe. Here's an entry from the edition that was sent on Friday, August 18th, 2023. Annexation letters. At least some non-city residents have, in the last couple of days, received a letter from the City of Bloomington about the status of their property with respect to an annexation waiver. As the letter states, it was sent as required under Indiana Code 36-9-22-2. What does that state statute say? Among other things, it says that annexation waivers are void unless they are recorded with the county recorder's office. Once a waiver is recorded, under Indiana Code 36-4-3-11.7, the city has to notify the current property owners that some owner of their property has signed a waiver of the right to remonstrate against annexation. In any event, the letter does not appear to have been sent because a court ordered it in a connection with Bloomington's ongoing annexation fight. But my guess is that the sending of the letters is still important for the city of Bloomington in connection with that litigation for the exclusion of some signatures from the count of remonstrators. The letters are a good reminder that a court hearing is coming up in connection with one of the cases. It's the lawsuit involving the areas that did not achieve enough remonstrance signatures to stop annexation outright. But they did gather enough signatures, 50% of landowners, to force a court to review Bloomington's annexation case. What is pending in front of the court is a review of Bloomington's reasons and basis for annexation. The remonstrators want the proceedings paused until the question of what counts as a valid remonstrance waiver is settled, which is the subject of some separate litigation. If Bloomington prevails on the question of what counts as a remonstrance waiver, the two areas involved in this particular lawsuit will not reach the 50% signature requirement. Failing to reach the 50% signature requirement would mean the two areas are definitely annexed. Bloomington wants the judicial review of the annexation to go ahead. The hearing on the pause, which is called a stay in formal legal terms, is next Friday, August 25th. Until next week, this has been Dave Askins with the B-Square Bulletin for WFHB. WFHB News is proud to partner with the Media School at Indiana University to offer internships and volunteer opportunities in broadcast journalism. Last month, the Media School hosted the High School Journalism Institute, drawing hundreds of students from all over the country to Bloomington for a week of intense workshops. WFHB hosted the podcasting workshop where students produced new episodes of Activate, our weekly feature spotlighting people working for positive change in our community. 
Every Monday during the month of August, you get to hear their work. This week's episode was produced by Nishka Mishra. During her week in Bloomington, Nishka produced two episodes of Activate, including today's segment featuring Vinyl Lee, Chair of Community Organizations Active in Disaster, or COAD. Fire, flood, tornado, mass shooting? How can you help Monroe County be ready and respond? Find out right now on a new student-produced episode of Activate. Welcome to Activate, featuring real people working for positive change in our community, encouraging you to get involved, live your passion, and make a difference. Hi, my name is Vinyl, and I'm with the Monroe County Community Organizations Active in Disaster. I am the chair of the Community Organizations Active in Disasters, which means that I help coordinate um, individuals, agencies, corporations who all want to help serve their community in times of disaster. So I am specifically in charge of helping coordinate preparedness as well as developing what we're sort of affectionately referring to as the battle plan uh, for our community. So when disasters happen, whether those are fires, floods, tornadoes, mass shootings, whatever those look like, we can make sure that our community is prepared to uh, respond, uh, but also that we have resilient individuals who can sort of navigate those storms. Uh, the first time I got involved was when I was a teenager uh, and responded to a mass shooting uh, in Omaha, Nebraska at uh, what was at the time West Roads Mall in Von Maar. Uh, and being able to, to respond to that incident uh, and to provide compassion care, to provide support to first responders, sort of ingrained in me a passion for responding to disasters. So when there became an opportunity to step into a leadership role, I was grateful to, to step up and do that. So the way that communities respond are going to look different, specifically here for us in, in Monroe County. We are, we are really first looking at uh, making sure that we're defining roles properly. Uh, with many key agencies within this community, like the Red Cross, like Salvation Army, Habitat for Humanity, there are, there are major national level organizations who are active in disaster. And so for us, on a local level, it's making the clear determination who is going to do what in the event of a disaster. So who's gonna feed the community? Who's gonna shelter people? Who's gonna provide shelter for pets? Who's gonna help rebuild homes? And so that, that is what we are working to create in that battle plan is really, when that disaster hits, we can turn to, to page 37 and say, this is what we do when a flood overwhelms Kirkwood and who's, who's responding and at what time and in what order. So that's, that's what we're working on to create here. And that's gonna look different across communities. Uh, but for us, we think it's really important that we know who's doing what, when, and in what order. Many times, families will have no choice but to either go hungry or try to consume food that is unsafe. And so those organizations can come in and provide food, can provide drinks. And it is the difference in a lot of times between life and death. I think the way that 
people can support the work and get involved with community organizations active in disasters. Since COAD is a collection of agencies, it does, it does comprise of some individuals. The best way is to get connected with a local organization that's active in disasters. So there are a number of ways. In the times of disaster, we need people with all types of skill sets, whether that's construction management, whether that is caring for people in a shelter, whether that's cooking a meal, whether that's putting a roof back on a house. There are ways for us to deploy the talents of all people. And the easiest way for you to do that right now is to get connected with an organization that is serving in that way. So whether that means you, you find yourself volunteering with the Red Cross, whether that means you get involved with the Salvation Army, perhaps you uh, become a, a, a volunteer with the United Way. Uh, if people are looking to learn more about COAD specifically, they can visit us online at Monroe County COAD, Monroe County, C-O-A-D, uh, dot org, and you can, you can find us there online. That's Monroe County COAD, so Monroe County, C-O-A-D, dot org. Again, I'm Vinyl Lee from Monroe County Community Organizations Active in Disasters, helping to build an active and resilient community. You've been listening to Activate, true stories from friends and neighbors who stand up for what they believe in. Activate is a partnership between WFHB and the City of Bloomington Volunteer Network, working together to build a strong, healthy, and engaged community, with production support from students in the media school at Indiana University. You can learn more about volunteer opportunities in the WFHB listening area online at bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org. That's bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com.